You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 30, Entrepreneurial Ministry, an interview with Matt Pinto. Most people don't associate ministry with entrepreneurialism, and in many ways, that's for good reason. But in this episode, we sit down with Matthew Pinto, president and founder of Ascension Press, who shares with us seven entrepreneurial impulses that he believes are valuable to anyone working within the church. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today we're joined by Matt Pinto, our president, our founder of Ascension, and uh, most importantly, the guy who wrote the book, Did Adam and Eve Have Belly Buttons? So hopefully today goes well. If not, I uh, could be back in the mailroom. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, <laughs> but uh, hopefully it'll be good. But uh, welcome, Matt, to the show. Alan, it's great to be with you, and I, I just have to say, when it comes to uh, introductions of myself, the word big... Uh, being that I stand at a whopping five foot five on a good day, uh, hasn't been the norm, but I'll, I'll take it today. I forget it's also confused quite often with, uh, the male model, Matt Pinto, which graces the cover of many, yeah. uh, secular magazines out there. Yeah, that's an image that I guarantee you the majority of <laughs> listeners do not want to think about, uh, cause it couldn't be further from the truth. Now, Matt, you have a background. Um, you have an entrepreneurial mindset, first of all, which is when you started Ascension, we, you had that in mind. But before that, you worked in various apostolates in ministry. So can you give us just a quick background of uh, your history there? Sure. Uh, I was raised um, – I was child number six in a family that was really an entrepreneurial family. And so at the youngest of ages, we were just doing things, whether – uh, conceiving ways to drive cars at a car wash or, or starting little businesses at a young age. So when I was in college, I started uh, a first of several secular businesses. And then I went through a conversion in my early to mid-20s after getting challenged on my faith by a non-Catholic Christian. And at that point, I had had a small advertising boutique on a, on a very fine street in Philadelphia. And we did uh, print communications type of work for secular businesses, but I had gone through a conversion and I concluded that I wanted to do marketing and communications for the church. So I went to work for Catholic Answers in 1991. And shortly thereafter that I, I concluded, you know, I want to work at the parish level. So I went to work for a few parishes and the, the, the diocese. I actually had four different church positions at the same time, which made my wife's eyes roll. Uh, but that's uh, kind of how just uh, I, I approached life. And it was during that time that I began uh, one of the first of a number of different Catholic ministries, Envoy Magazine. That then led to my writing a book that you alluded to earlier called Did Adam and Eve Have Belly Buttons? And 199 Other Questions from Catholic Teenagers. And needing an imprint for that book, I could have gone to a publisher, a fine publisher um, in the Catholic world. But I, I chose to publish it myself for the simple reason that the majority of publishers, and understandably so, need to spend about three months on a book, and then they need to move on to the next uh, grouping of new books. And my thought was, well, listen, if I publish it myself, I can just focus on it myself for as long as I want. And that required me to come up with a publishing house name. Hmm. And to make a long story short, Ascension was the name I honed in on. And uh, today, uh, it's it's much larger, thanks to God's grace and some real cleverness on the part of many, many staff members. 
uh, we have a team of about 70 people today, and, and we're, I, I think, doing uh, pretty bold and uh, fruitful things uh, for the church. Yes, and your your main ministry, your your primary vocation is a husband to Marianne and father to six beautiful kids. It is. Uh, I was fortunate many years ago, probably two or three decades ago, to be at the right Catholic conferences, hear the right Catholic speakers, and read the right Catholic books that really singed into my mind and, more importantly, my heart, that I may help contribute to the church and, and, according to the world, do big and bold things, but if my family is going to pot or my marriage is going to pot, woe to me. That is the primary vocation. And I, I even was passed on a concept by a very fine priest here in Philadelphia who contended that my actual vocation here at Ascension comes through my marriage. So the fertility of Ascension is ultimately rooted in the fertility of of the vocatio, the divine calling that I have as as a husband to a wife uh, named Marianne. And so uh, we fail daily, I assure you, but we're succeeding uh, in some regards as well. Mm. That's beautiful, and that that should trickle down to us as well. And um, and I gotta say, you do set that example for us as employees. Um, that our our main vocation is as at least as a married man is as husband um, and father first. Um, uh, we try to, and and again, this is not trying to laud uh, anything that I that I'm doing because I, again, I assure you, we we struggle daily and weekly with making right choices. But the hope and the desire is to really focus on on the divine order and what the Lord would want. And it's risky and scary at times, but so far we're almost 19 years in. Uh, it has borne fruit and worked out, and so far the Lord has come through in all 19 of those years. So uh, pray that, that we can still make those same choices. Excellent. So there are a lot of things we can talk about and a lot of things that I think our listeners could learn from you today. Um, we want to focus on the entrepreneurial aspect of being in ministry that I think gets overlooked many times. I think as a director of religious education, of faith formation, as a pastor, as a parochial vicar, as a youth minister, there are many initiatives that you begin and a lot of projects that you have to um, see from start to finish and wear a lot of different hats. And um, I don't think we look at that always as uh, a project and as an entrepreneurial endeavor. And so I think that help, helping people see their ministry that way and look at the events they're planning that way would be very beneficial. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but first, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Matt Pinto. There might be an upcoming Ascension event happening near you, and we'd love for you to attend. Almost every week, our inspiring Catholic speakers travel to parishes, schools, and organizations around the country to ignite hearts with the love of Christ. Discover and register for upcoming Ascension events at ascensionpress.com slash events. All right, and we're back with Matt Pinto today talking about an entrepreneurial mindset when working in ministry. So Matt, you gave me seven uh, short uh, points, if you will, about being an entrepreneur and things to think about in starting initiatives. And so if you wouldn't mind, I'd just like to kind of walk through those real quick with you and let you kind of rift on each one if that's all right. Sure. All right. Well, the first one you said was uh, begin with the end in mind. Yeah. And, and we've heard this principle begin with the end in mind in the secular world. And just to kind of frame, again, what we're talking about here, these would be seven principles for those who work in the church, whether you're a youth minister who needs to, to run a, a big event for your teens or you want to start a new uh, Bible study 
or a DRE where you want to kind of inspire catechists to come and join you or a pastor leading the, the whole parish. Uh, that would be the context that maybe you and I would be discussing these today. But begin with the end in mind is is really uh, the simple principle that when you can picture it, whatever it is, you have a better chance of setting a trajectory to hit it. I, I think there's that phrase that if one does not w- know where he or she is going, you know, you will most surely not get there or yeah. you'll just wander. And And I think there is – and this is a key point I think – there is – an undercurrent within the church that you and I love, the, the people of goodwill who work in the churn, uh, church, there's kind of an undercurrent that mediocre or even schlocky or we don't want to be too business or entrepreneurial minded because that's kind of secretly dirty. Those are mindsets that underpin uh, the carrying out of Ministry often, not always, but often, and and I would contend that 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 ultimately is not in accord with the dignity of the human person. God has endowed us with extraordinary gifts. This mind that we have to listen to this pod, podcast today, this mind that we have for you and I to converse today, our highest natural gift, the intellect, and if we can use it for the greater good of ministry and ultimately for humanity and for God, well, then that's a good thing. So I think we need to begin with the end in mind. We need to picture what we're shooting for and uh, and and begin to work towards it. Um, one final point, yeah, there's that beautiful verse in the Old Testament, my, my people perish for want of knowledge. And I've always wanted to kind of change that word knowledge to vision. My mm. people are perishing for lack of vision. And, uh, you know, in the Catholic world, we do extraordinary things over the past 2,000 years, extraordinary things right now. But too often, uh, we don't have that hunger uh, to really e- create extraordinary realities for our, quote, consumers. Yeah, totally. You know, we hear that a lot on this show, this idea of vision and people being in ministry um, and leadership positions being the keeper of the vision and having to constantly cast that vision to your your parishioners and, and your, your parents and your parish staff and, and everyone. I think that's so just so important. And, and like you said, keeping the end in mind, like it doesn't have to be if your end goal is to make a lot of money, that's not very honorable. But if your end goal is to make disciples, well, that's an honorable thing. And it's good to have that in mind instead of just, well, what do we do as faith formation? Well, we, we put on programs, so let's just put in the program on instead of what are we what what are we actually trying to do with this ministry here here yeah great point um all right so number two you said um think big but move prudently yes think big and move prudently and i've i've given this type of talk before in front of church audiences and for those who work for the official church either well all of us but uh, pastors and bishops i think they they take this next phrase, think big but move prudently with great comfort. So they hear the first one about having big vision and they agree but then suddenly get a little nervous. Do I have a wild-eyed person in front of me here? So this next phrase, uh, think big but move prudently is the counterbalance to that and quite frankly, I offer it not as a counterbalance but because it's prudent. So have your vision but then have good execution. We think of the scriptural uh, context of who would build a, a house or a structure without doing the plans and planning for it first. So I, I think that really has to follow as the immediate corollary. Uh, but my, my caveat to that is that very often uh, in Catholicism, 
we have um, uh, analysis paralysis that we so start getting prudent. We so so much stay in committee meetings that we actually just just don't start getting about the business and getting done. And later on, I'll speak about this concept of fear that I think grips the church very often. So think big, move prudently, but not so uh, forcefully or with such uh, quantity that you end up in analysis paralysis. Which would bring us to number three, which is just just get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I uh, say uh, often is that let's say you want to start a men's Bible study at your parish, or you want to start a new, you know, adult faith formation program. And it's March and you get together, you get the approval from the pastor and, and you get three or four people together in a committee, uh, set a start date. And if you're not ready, uh, as long as it's not a tremendous downside to what you're missing, just get started. You may also use um, a modality we use a lot over here at Ascension Press, and that is uh, we're a version 1.0 company. What do I mean when I say that phrase? Often we'll create uh, something and we'll really, really, really try to create it well. We'll put in a lot of brain power, a lot of time, as you know, because you're in the meetings, <laughs> you're leading some of the meetings at, at times. And But always know that we're going to shoot for really good, if not great, if not fabulous, but we always have recourse to version 1.2 or 1.5 or version 2.0. So I say the same to a parish. Think big, move prudently, plan, set your start date, do the five or six or seven or eight meetings that you believe are enough to really get it going, but then just get going. You've done enough planning, knowing that the downsides for your mistakes are not life and death. And uh, so... You can always, that coming January, when you run the group again, just do it better than you did before and improve that 15% that could have been there. So just get started. You know, you said um, one of, probably the best thing you ever said to me, last century, best thing you ever said to me was we'd like to offer you a job. <laughs> the second best thing you ever said to me was, um, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but basically you gave me permission to make mistakes. You said it's okay if you if you screw up. And that was the one thing I knew for sure that I was going to do was screw up at some point. And so it gave me um, the freedom and it was very liberating for me to operate out of a posture of I know I'm going to screw up and I know it's going to be okay. I think you even gave a caveat as to something like as long as it doesn't cost the company millions of dollars. Well, but otherwise, it's okay to make a mistake. Sure. And and the reason why it's okay for me to say that to the staff is because although I think I get a fair number of things right, uh, probably 70%, I probably get 30% of decisions wrong, maybe more. So um, – Wow, woe to me if, if, if that same freedom is not extended to the staff and I extend it now to everyone who's listening. I think the Lord, uh, is much more pleased with our attempts, even if they end up as failures, than our non-attempting. And we think of the parable of the talents, who the one who had the one talent and he buried it out of fear because he knew that the master was exacting. And so out of fear, he buried the talent, and then the other two persons doubled their talents. And the Lord rebuked the one who out of fear. So there are always some counterbalances in Catholicism. And whenever I, um, you know, you know, get nervous about, ooh, maybe that's a little too, uh, 
you know, too progressive or too uh, forward-thinking or, or from where maybe the church is right now. Not theologically, obviously. We have the deposit of faith. I'm talking in carrying out pastoral ministry. Uh, I, I do balance that and get fearful of the fear in the parable of the talents of, of getting rebuked for not uh, um, attempting. I think the Lord, at the end of the day, uh, our earnest efforts that fail will be more well-received than our sheepishness. I hope so, because that might be all I have to offer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, you said something, too. Um, uh, you've often said, don't settle for the adage, if we, even if we help just one soul, then we've done well. Um, can you talk about that real quick? That might sound kind of sure. odd to some people. So you and I uh, are finite creatures. We can't even conceive the infinite value of the salvation of one soul. So that's my opening disclaimer, uh, which seemingly contradicts the, the other adage that, that I share often. Uh, don't settle for the idea that we helped one soul. How the two mix is I think in the Catholic world, we simply have too much recourse and default appeasing of ourselves uh, by after our ill-planned program fails – we then say, well, at least we helped one soul. Yeah, in the objective, it's extraordinary. It's probably mind-boggling. Uh, our finite minds can't even get around the value of that one lost sheep who is returned to the Lord. And and I believe that. But I just want to kind of issue just a little bit of a poke at defaulting too easily to that mindset when, in fact, if we had just planned a little bit more, if we just had a little bit more bounce in our step, uh, a little bit more uh, overcoming fear and gutsiness, we might have helped five or ten or four hundred other souls. So it's only just a mitigating um, statement, maybe a little cutesy, uh, but the sentiment is still what I would hold to. So what about number four? Uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. What about uh, what do you mean by that? Sure. Uh, well, uh, in number two, I said, think big and move prudently. And then we spoke about analysis paralysis. This is rooted in that analysis paralysis. Don't wait until everything is exactly lined up. And let me share an anecdote. Don't or don't wait until you know everything and have all your uh, bets hedged. And, and here's a story, uh, a true anecdote. And again, any story that I share where I kind of tweak the church uh, is only said from a posture of love. Uh, that being said, I think the church that you and I love falls down by being fearful too much and afraid of mistakes. I know we live in an age of lawsuits, and that really is fear driving. But but I think we need to be bolder. And here's the story I want to share. I think it was Mel Gibson's movie in it was released in 2004, maybe 2005, but 2004. And Ascension found itself at the forefront of Catholic initiatives. The evangelicals were doing all types of uh, passion outreach initiatives, uh, creating materials for uh, for their churches to use. And there was nothing in the Catholic world. And so uh, through a series of circumstances, Ascension ended up producing very quickly in about uh, – I don't know, three, four weeks producing a question and answer book called A Guide to the Passion. Some of you may remember that. We ended up uh, selling a million copies in 14 weeks. So just by way of context, 
A Catholic bestseller is 10,000 copies. A secular bestseller is 30,000 copies. We, uh, we moved through licensing and through printing a million copies in 14 weeks and got it published in six languages. I mean, wow. it, it was off the charts and only Grace could have uh, created that. But what I'm getting at is we called around to many, many of the dioceses to offer these prepackaged, ready-made passion initiatives. And we received, and again, I love the church, but we received uh, responses on the other end of the phone uh, from, you know, various persons working in, in uh, various positions that they wanted to stay away from the movie because they had heard it might be anti-Semitic or whatever the case may be, uh, which I think mostly or completely proved to be untrue. And so they didn't want to do anything with the movie, to which I say, I hear you. I understand on an intellectual level somewhat what you're saying, but how often is Hollywood going to serve on a platter <laughs> this most unique of movies? Whether it was perfection is a debatable question, but is any movie perfect? Probably not. And it was such a public event that my mild rebuke of the church that you and I love, those various persons who, out of fear, chose not to embrace it and do anything with it, is a you know, come on, come on now. Uh, we got to be bolder or we are going to make very little progress in this very serious game uh, or reality known as salvation and leading people to the truth that will set them free, leading them to the one Jesus Christ who ultimately will liberate their hurts and their pains. And so, it, you know, as you can see, 13 years later, it's still a little fresh. Uh, you know, because in, in reflecting on it, but uh, it, it really is maybe example A in in my memory of of how uh, perfection became the enemy of progress. So earlier we talked about vision. Um, we touched on it a little bit and the need for it and how um, just how important it is. You have said that uh, this this is your point number five. People by vision. And, um, I personally love that those, those three words. Um, I think it's huge and, and love to hear your, you expound on that a little bit. Sure. And, and again, by the word by, uh, we're not uh, speaking even primarily in a commerce sense. I'm speaking in the, in the, uh, just kind of symbolic or, or motivational sense. Sure. People follow vision. And uh, let's hope the vision is good. You know, people followed Adolf Hitler uh, <laughs> because he had vision and he vocalized it. And it, that was a, a disaster of epic proportions, but pe people also follow a great vision, you know, whether it's a president of the United States, um, uh, any, you know, choose one in the past uh, 30 years who at times can really strike a vision. Uh, even, you know, uh, I remember again, I'm not making a political affirmation, but uh, George W. Bush, the son after 9-11, standing on that pile of rubble, mm -hmm. uh, when he said, you know, we hear you and the people of the world hear you. And, you know, the ratings, Republican and Democrat, go through the roof, 75, 80 uh, percent, because, again, there is vision. I believe you and I are, are living in an age right now that is so pop culture-ish. And, again, this is not an anti-technology statement, but it is so sensory. It is so pop culturish where where someone named PewDiePie, you know, in on YouTube can have forty million or thirty million or twenty million followers where Kim Kardashian, you know, is uh, still the rage. Um that culture is ripe for 
a bigger, broader vision. I think the, the desert is, is of the heart is so now wanting because of a five and 10 and a 15 year diet on hyper superficiality. Granted, in the sixties, seventies and eighties, we were the TV generation and many contend that, that, you know, in earnest, that's where we began to lose the philosophical instinct, uh, and, and more reflection. But all of that is put on steroids now because it is nonstop. I mean, I've watched my children, you know, they'll blow 30 minutes just looking at Instagram swipes. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll look at 400 images in six minutes uh, of what their friends are doing. I mean, so um, I think we a are in desperate need of vision. I believe the bishops not too long ago did a great uh, endeavor with the convocation of Catholic leaders that took place in Orlando, where uh, the bishops got together uh, 3,000 plus Catholic leaders from around the country to begin more of, of coalescing a vision behind this intentional discipleship movement, which is a great thing. We are ready now for bigger vision, and the one who steps into that spot will uh, will move and inspire people. At the end of the day, we hear often from ministries and from parishes and others, I don't have the money. I would contend that the waters upstream are the problem, and the waters upstream is that we're not conveying a compelling vision. Because when one does com- uh, convey a compelling vision, uh, people will get behind it, and that's more or less what I'm saying here. And you can't. You can't see the vision if you don't step away sometimes from the the trees in order to see the forest, for example. So, um, in other words, you've got to buy in time, not buy, you've got to build in time to, uh, pray, discern, and as you would call it, a uh, noodle time, which would be your, uh, number six, um, build in noodle time in your life and in your ministry. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And believe me, this is the pot calling the kettle black, to be sure. Uh, one may know something in principle, but whether one does it is another question. I'm getting pummeled right now on the good sense of the word by the book uh, Soul of the Apostolate, which some of you may have heard of before. Uh, I, I read it a number of years ago. It it was the bedside book, I believe, of Pius XII, uh, many prominent Catholics whom you know um, you have great recourse to this book on a regular basis. And as I'm reading it, I'm getting pummeled uh, as to how much one needs to balance the active life with the contemplative life. A secular pithy way of saying that um, and an incomplete way of saying that is noodle time. So what does that mean? Well, it really means uh, living with the Lord, living with his heart, his mind uh, as your heart and your mind. The only way to get muscles is by going to the gym. The only way to really ultimately um, make some headway in the realm of sanctity, some headway in the realm of apostolic progress is by by tapping aggressively into the source. And again, even as I say these words, I, I think of uh, all that I'm not doing, but the principle is still correct. Spinning wheels are mildly productive at best if one does not, though, have uh, the the balance and the weighting in the direction of uh, the contemplative life. Uh, you need to be living close with the Lord or we will substantially be spinning wheels. And again, uh, we may know some things, but I, we, I got a lot of improvement in this area that we need to do. Yeah, which that is your number eight or number seven rather is your balance, the active and, and contemplative life. I know for me as in youth ministry, and I think it's probably true for, I hope it's true for people, not that I hope that they're failing, but I hope that I wasn't alone in this, that a lot of times for me, I would get so bogged down with 
like you said, the doing of ministry that that began, that became my prayer life. That became my relationship with Christ mm. instead of my ministry flowing from my relationship with him. It became almost one and the same. And so I was like, well, I've spent all day talking about and planning this talk on prayer. So I don't need to pray today instead of, yeah. no, no, you should pray. And then your talk on it should come from that. And it's got to be the, the root of, of who we are and, and how we operate our lives. Uh, last night. And again, uh, I just happened to be in the right place, right time last night. And I, I read Mother Teresa's uh, conversation to her sisters uh, after she reflected on John Paul II's uh, document called I Thirst. And that's where Mother Teresa, speaking to her sisters like the next day or the you know that week, told them about her spiritual aridity that she suffered from. But one key line she said to her sisters – she said, I know you're going to adoration, but are you reading about Christ or are you really conversing with Christ? Hmm. And I thought, wow, that just hit me right between the eyes. Hmm. Uh, that just described my reality 80 plus percent <laughs> of the time. Uh, and in this book, Soul of the Apostle, a second quick anecdote, the author, Dom Chattard, and I don't know whether his name was Dominic or that meant Father Chattard, who wrote the book, um, really referred to uh, how stupid, forgive me for the word, it was his word, uh, a hyper-reliance on activism is. And it's really almost certainly the root cause of burnout in ministry, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we're not, you know, feeding mm-hmm. ourselves. And again, you know, I'm speaking these words, but I perhaps, like many of us, have a long way to go. I know I do. Um I'd like to ask you something um, on a little more personal level. Um, that's something that you were just saying kind of did just piqued my interest in this mic it edits it out. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I think, <clears throat> I think when I was hired, I was employee like number 28 or 29, something like that. And, and like you said earlier, we have 70 employees now. And so you've had tremendous growth in the past uh, few years. Maybe you're the reason. <laughs> 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 but I'm curious how as this is your baby, you know, and um how that's just how that's been for you, kind of like you had mentioned, having to go from working in the ministry, in the business to working on the business. And I think that we would not have been we would not have made the successful transition if you had not been um willing to do that, which meant I think I think a letting go of in a certain sense from you and trusting in the people that you put in certain places. And so I'd love to just hear your kind of your, your thoughts on that. Sure. Some of the letting go was just rooted in the pragmatic of, of raising six kids and trying to maintain a a marriage that is within striking distance of being good, if not good. Um, uh, second pragmatic reason, you know, I guess a corollary to that is I was just flat out tired and, (laughs) and, and probably not nourishing and nurturing myself in the manner that we should. So by default, it had to be let go. Thirdly, again, another pragmatic reason is, uh, you know, it was pretty obvious that we had some talented people. And so I just needed to let them run. And it was a source of pride. I shared with people a, num- a number of times. Uh, it's, it's very hard because uh, your gut tells you that you think you know an answer. But you also need to allow uh, your, your staff to grow and, and test and experiment. And, but you know, one of the beautiful things, though, Alan, that has happened, I don't know, maybe a 100 times or more in these recent years, 
is that many times I'm now at the point where I genuinely don't know the answer because I haven't put in the the gym time uh, that the various staff members have. They are closer to the question, closer to the problem. And it's really a beautiful thing that, that you have trust that they actually do know the better answer. And uh, I guess that's really the only way that an entity can ultimately scale is if you're, you're spreading that. So for spreading um, that empowerment around. So anyone who's listening, you know, whether again, you're a pastor or a DRA or youth minister, uh, I just have two guidelines uh, with that whole 70%, 30%. You're going to get it right, staff member, 70% of the time you're going to get it wrong, 30%. I just say, I just need to have sirens go off if two things come up. If your decision involves a big investment financially or it has big pastoral ramifications in the positive or negative. In other words, if your decision that you're about to make right now will have big political or pastoral ramifications. In other words, there's a big downside. Management needs to know about it. Uh, if it's not a major downside uh, and, if, and it's not going to crush the company in a financial and put us at risk, then you just go make the decision. So anyone who's listening now, I would say let go, kind of put God to the test. I believe God will prove himself in this. Just have basic parameters around where your tolerances are. And hopefully your tolerances are wide uh, because uh, the task that we're faced with nowadays, I think we're faced with a major pastoral challenge. I know every age says that they're the particularly difficult age, but there are some factors that exist now that simply didn't exist 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. So we're faced with some real, real challenges, but the light and the power of the gospel can break through. Vision is needed. Boldness is needed. And uh, I believe if if we, we take the leap of faith in the direction of these types of things, the Lord will bless it. And we have people in the vineyard that are um, listening, that are fighting the fight with us. Um, and God no bless doubt. them for doing that. No doubt. No um, doubt. Man, I could just listen to you talk. I have like 400 other questions. We're going to have to have you back on the show because I love to just talk about that at some point. I have a whole show on that and the culture that we're, that we're, um, competing, not competing, we're, we're battling in. What the, what is that, the reality of that battle and what are we fighting? Um, that'd be great to have you back on one I day. I would love so. to. All right. Um, well, that about does it for today. Thank you so much, um, for listening to the show. Uh, if you have not gone online and taken the survey, please do. We'd love to know exactly who we're talking to and, and what it is you'd like to hear from us. So if you go to ascensionpresents.com slash AR and take our survey and let us know um, who you are, uh, that'd be great. It's short. There's, I think, 9, 10, 11 questions, and uh, it'll just take you about a minute and a half to do. If you want to leave a comment on the show, um, please do so at Ascension Presents. No. Please, if you want to leave a comment on the show, or you want to say it all again, if you want to leave, from, a, if you want to, if you want to contact us or leave a comment about the show, please do so at Ascension Roundtable at ascensionpress.com. Um, and as always, keep doing what you're doing. And remember that we are praying for you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.